Welcome to the STFM Podcast, brought to you by the Society of Teachers of Family Medicine. In this podcast, we speak to leaders in academic family medicine about a variety of leadership topics. And now your host, Dr. Saria carter Sicosia. Well, welcome everyone to our STFM Podcast. I am so excited about this session. We are talking about interprofessionalism today. Interprofessionalism, what is that? We have two fantastic guests, Dr. Fran Vlasis and Dr. Aaron Mickelfelder from Loyola. Welcome, Aaron, Fran. Good to be here. Excellent. Happy. Looking forward to it. Fantastic. Well, Dr. Vlasis, Fran, let's jump in with you. Can you give us a little bit of introduction? Who is Dr. Vlasis and what inspired you to get into interprofessionalism. Well, thank you. I'm delighted to be here today and thank you for inviting me. I am a professor in the School of Medicine and the School of Nursing at Loyola Chicago right now. But many, many years ago, many years ago, I was a new nurse at Thomas Jefferson University in Philadelphia. And during that time, a young punk psychiatrist named Paul Fink, who doesn't ever get the honor he deserves, he joined Jefferson and under the conditions that he would be able to start interprofessional education at the medical school as part of his teaching responsibility. And as a result of that, I got involved in teaching with a physiatrist. Uh, He and I were a team and we got involved in teaching together. And it's it's been that way ever since uh, since I was I was fortunate. I was a young practitioner at the time. So that's what got me going. Moved to Loyola and was able to join up with Aaron. This has been uh, pretty much my life's work. It's for me. I can't see it any other way. So that's me. Fantastic. And thanks to Dr. Fink for years ago having the insight of the importance of interprofessionalism. Made it a requirement on his hire. As it should be. And I'm glad to see he was a pioneer. How about you, Dr. Mickelfelder? Aaron, tell us about you. Yeah, I'm a uh, family physician and I'm professor and chair of family medicine at Loyola University, Chicago. And together with Fran Blassus, she and I co-direct Loyola's Institute for Transformative Interprofessional Education, or ITI. And ITI is a great name because um, uh, we actually have an official drink, which is the Mai Tai. And so uh, I'm just saying that to say that we have a lot of fun with what we do. Um, That's true. (laughs) There's nothing we do without making it fun, and and interprofessionalism uh, really is a lot of fun. Uh, And I got involved with this because when I was a medical student, I heard that nurses will make or break your career as a physician. And I quickly realized that it was so much more than that. Nurses weren't just part of my career nurses uh, and social workers and physical therapy and dietitians and everybody involved in the care of patients were as or more important than me. And that was a concept that was new to me because I grew up in an era that physician leads everything. And then I discovered this world of what we call fluid leadership, where leadership shifts from 
one person to another on a healthcare team to the person who is the most appropriate to lead at that time. And that's what's gotten me so energized in interprofessionalism is to realize that you can take a team that would normally have a single leader and elevate it to a powerful uh, collection where the output of the team is way greater than the sum of the talents of the individuals involved. And so that's where I get so much of my energy from. I love your description of the team, fluid leadership. This is so important. And you hit on something that I think most of us experience in medical school, that the make or break. And in fact, I know I've said it myself to medical students who came after me, residents that I was working with, especially on uncertain rotations, you know, be ready. Those OB nurses, they'll either be your best friend or your worst enemy. And wow, now I'm thinking back, perhaps we were leading through fear and leading mm-hmm. through fear doesn't get us to where we need to be, but this mm-hmm. fluid leadership. So what else? What else do we need to know about interprofessionalism? You alluded to it, but this really is a, a science, a concept, a philosophy mm-hmm. now, interprofessionalism. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, interprofessionalism is the concept that people trained in different professions need to form a new shared unified culture together when they come together to form a high functioning team. You know, I think it's kind of a myth that um, team members uh, automatically know how to work with each other, particularly a healthcare team. Um, I think the the uh, public uh, says, well, isn't that what you do? Haven't you been doing that from day one of entering your professional school as a nurse or a physician or a dietitian? And they don't understand that each school has tended to be a silo. And so when you graduate uh, within your own profession, how do you all of a sudden form a team uh, to work closely together? Well, that's what interprofessionalism is. It's taking each of the trained professionals and creating a high-functioning team out of those individual professionals that then can best serve the needs of whoever the team are serving. And I'd love to hear Fran's thoughts on that. I'm thinking about um, when we're talking about interprofessionalism, the notion that we all know, we all take for granted, the whole is greater than the sum of its parts, right? We all know that. Uh, We sort of know that. So I remind the students all the time, and I think myself, um, that look at the intellectual capacity that we have when we put doctorally prepared PT and physicians and nurse practitioners, just and social work and that's so on it, and patient care technicians together. What a waste it is to have them working independently when in fact we are just wasting intellectual, you know, intellectual capabilities, I think, in that regard. So for me, that's where the concept of interprofessionalism really gains a lot of strength. And that we are doing a disservice to our patients if we don't work that way. Uh, And I also think that's where the fun comes. Because when you put all that talent together, you get ideas that you never knew that you had before. You get courage because somebody's got your back. So you get innovation. It's just so much more exciting than working by yourself. And haven't we learned that time and again through this most recent COVID pandemic? COVID is the exemplar. 
COVID, the COVID work has been an exemplar, I think, of this. And already, this is such a rich conversation. I'm just going to repeat a couple of things that you said, Fran. The whole is greater than the sum of its parts. And as you just said, we have seen it over and over again in the COVID pandemic. But this is really important, what you just said. And I think this is the key to, as you mentioned, the courage, the innovation that evolves through interprofessionalism. And that is silos are a waste of intellectual mm-hmm. capabilities. Silos mm-hmm. are a waste. It is so mm-hmm. true. Um, I've heard them also called cylinders of excellence. <laughs> That's great. That is great. <laughs> so there's one for you. So that being yeah. said, we are experts in cylinders of excellence. And that this is setting that on the table for just a minute. I have no doubt that we have all had experience of challenges in interprofessionalism, whether it was on the physician side, the nurse's side, or you mentioned even our our patient care techs, everyone, I'm thinking of housekeeping and the environmental services, food and nutrition, everyone is a part of that team. So when you were bringing this work together, one, I want to ask you about this Loyola Interprofessionalism Institute, how did it start? What is it about? And did you all experience specific challenges that perhaps you saw would come or surprised you? It's interesting. Um, We tend to go with the people. I think we've learned that we're going to go with the people who aren't resisting. And we have enough. We have enough of a population. What we discovered was Aaron talks a lot about our grassroots effort. We have 110 uh, faculty who volunteer to be a part of the Institute. I mean, there is a groundswell of support for this concept. So we tend not to think about the um, people who are resisting so much. I think our issues have more been around administrative problems. uh, But I don't think it's I think the players, a lot of the players are on board. I think the students are on board. Um, The students, whenever we do an event, the most common piece of feedback is we need more of this. I learned more today than blah, blah, blah. I never knew a nurse could do, you know, all of that. And to our, the, the discussion we were having earlier about, you know, leading out of fear or, you know, those OB nurses will get, you know, whatever. We want to change that too. We want, even there should be a collaboration. So we have to work on the nursing side too, because we know they can be pretty intimidating, right? Um, so we have to work on that piece too. This notion of grassroots effort, a groundswell, um, either Aaron and I trying to deal with like the real resistors. Aaron and I have a little bit of a let Mikey do it kind of approach. You know, our job is to like get everybody together and and get all excitement around that idea. And then Aaron and I run in the background to say, oh, we just think this might happen. And, you know, those kind of things. So. We are Sherpas, right, Aaron? <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. I think that's a, a good way to describe it because we really see ourselves as an accelerator of really good ideas. And so right. students, faculty, administrators come to us with ideas of how to improve those or, or how to enhance or increase interprofessional activities and actions and training um, amongst uh, amongst our 
uh, our uh, learners and and learners we define very broadly. So our learners can be could oh, be yeah. law, law students, could be social work students, could be business students. Um, often they're seasoned clinicians. And so one of the things right. that's come out of our institute. Uh, is the Loyola I Transform to Act model, which is how do you get from interprofessional education to collaborative practice? In other words, how do you start with a bunch of individuals and end up with a really high functioning care team? And the way we've uh, sort of figured this out over decades of work is three steps, illumination, transformation, and activation. And it doesn't matter if you're a first-year graduate student, a first-year undergrad student, or a 40-year seasoned clinician, everybody has to start with step number one, which is illumination. And illumination is where you learn about, from, and with each other. You have to really get to know the other professions and, and the other people. And then transformation is where you start to form a team and maybe you do some simulations as a team mm -hmm. and you start to learn with, for, and by the team. And then activation is where you are a real team taking care of whoever uh, the team is intended to. And you include now the patient, the family, the community into the team so you can make sure that you're meeting the needs of the patient, the family, um, or the community. And so we've determined that you have to go those three steps in that order. You cannot skip a step. Even if you're a senior professor, you have to start with step number one, illumination. Um, and, and Fran, I, I bet you can give us some examples of, of how that works. I can think of some of the biggest faux pas we've had, Aaron, and they were a result of senior faculty us underestimating that process, that problem that you just defined as even senior professors have to go through the process where we thought we had like the best plan for a program and we put a senior professor uh, there. The plan was that the this, this senior professor, this professor just happened to be very, very competent and experienced teaching with a nursing faculty with no preparation ahead of time other than, you know, here's the script, here's the scenario, blah, blah, blah. And having a great deal of anxiety result from that uh, to the point where we had to actually disband the program because the physician faculty were so distressed by the situation we were putting them in. And Erin and I are underestimating that reaction. That, that particular situation, almost Erin and I were pretty much packing our bags because we thought we were going to be out the door on that one. <laughs> but when we analyzed it and we figured it out and we understood what was happening, we, of course, that's part of that first step that Aaron's talking about, that we had to realize and encourage other people to realize that this really is new. This is really a change in the way you teach. This doesn't mean that you don't know what you're doing. This is an enhancement to what you're doing. So I think that's my best example, Aaron. That's part of my let Mikey do but because Aaron and I would, I think one of the jobs that we have at, at, in our institute is to, and I mean this in the most positive way, kind of take the fall when things don't go right. Uh, that Because even when things don't go right, there's so much good that still happens, but we still have to like cover our, tra cover our tracks. Aaron, help me here. Cover our tracks is not explain the phenomena to other people. Explain to the people who are hearing the complaints, for example. But now we don't get any complaints. We're talking about ancient history, right? <laughs> yes, absolutely. And, and, and we always talk about how we step on a lot of toes because 
One of the challenges we really face in interprofessionalism is that each profession has its own culture. And so, um, and, and those cultures can be extremely strong. And so one of the things we spend a lot of time talking about is language. Uh, and the language, sometimes yeah. two professions use the same word and it has a totally different meaning. So to this day, Fran and I have worked together for over two decades. And sometimes we still turn to each other and say, wait a minute, what, is, what does that word mean to you? Because in, in my lexicon, yeah. it means something totally different. Yeah. And one of the things we've come to are some words to not use, some words that are extremely offensive to some professions. Like one of the words I see commonly in writing is non-physician. And that word absolutely otherizes everyone uh, who's so <laughs> important on the healthcare team. Uh, physician extender or mid-level provider. Um, these are all words that we've discovered are, are hurtful and harmful in trying to form that high-functioning uh, care team. Uh, and one of the things Fran taught me is as a physician, um, it's extremely possessive to call someone my nurse, that the proper terminology is our nurse and our physician and our dietitian and our patient, because each of us belongs to the team, not to each other. And so one of the things we've changed is, is that's our nurse that I work with, not my nurse. <laughs> I'm chuckling because that was many hours of conversation or that Aaron and I had because he, you know, it's, that's a foreign concept in medicine that, you know, it is my nurse, right? And the nurses accept it as well, some of them. Yeah, so much to unpack oh. in, in everything that you've said. I've been taking notes and writing furiously. I want to make sure I get this right, though, because you said some incredibly meaningful things just a moment ago, the language. And I, I'm so glad we're putting this on the table. We live in the healthcare space mm -hmm. in such a physician-centric environment. Yes. The my team, or you're a physician, or you're not a physician. I love these possessive words. And oftentimes as physicians, I know it's not intended to, to demonstrate possession, but when you play it back and you say it out loud, you can appreciate that. And I think mm -hmm. this is so important. And I, I love this. And I want to make sure our listeners get this too, because they may be taking notes like I am. The illumination, transformation, and activation. So I'm going to repeat that one more time because this is transformational. Illumination, transformation, and activation. And what's so simple about this is that you demonstrate how we learn from one another through illumination. Mm -hmm. That is illumination, the aha moment. Mm -hmm. And it Absolutely. doesn't come from one person. This is not right. the Socratic method. This is not listen to the physician and we'll tell all. It's let's listen to one another and we learn together to be a team. You learn from, I, I heard this, you're with your team, you're for your team, you're by your team and activating as a real team. And I think what you shared that is so valuable in this conversation is no one is above training and illumination. Yes. <laughs> and I'm glad you shared that example. Even at the senior most level, we all need education and we need to retrain because not everything we've right. learned and how we've been educated is the best way. I think that's really important. The distress 
Fran, you use that word that you underestimated this, the distress that this was causing for physicians. When you're letting control be shared, it is incredibly empowering and enabling, but can also be threatening if not approached the right way. So I think the perfect example you gave was as role models yourself of stepping back. Whoa, we learned, we learned this was not the way to go. And we tried it again and we did it with the team, our team, not my Mm -hmm. team, not your team, our team together. This is, this is fantastic. This is really good work. And I think it, it breaks down how simple this is. It's about relationships and treating individuals with respect and recognizing we're all within our zone of genius when we allow everyone to be within their zone of genius. Well said, well said. Yeah, I really like that. I think, um, uh, Saria, you did a wonderful job <laughs> summarizing that. That was perfect. And uh, I, if it's okay, I'd like to brag about Fran for a second because we actually have some evidence for this. Okay. So, <laughs> so, um, so Fran and our nursing school um, professors led a, a multi-million-dollar HRSA grant um, to study exactly this. And what they did was um, they trained our family medicine teams. Uh, through ambulatory team steps, and then uh, put nurses in charge of care coordination teams to see if we could improve the outcomes in patients who had diabetes and hypertension. And it was a brilliant study. What the nurses did was they led the team, and, and in leading that team, they pushed leadership to the person at the moment who was most appropriate and demonstrated the fluid leadership that we talked about. That word comes from our institute, ITI Fluid Leadership, uh, comes from this study, actually. So uh, for some patients with hypertension and diabetes, the issue might have been diet. And so the dietitian became the leader. For some people, it might have been trouble getting medications. And so the social work uh, social worker became the leader. Um, and we would meet uh, monthly around uh, each patient. And it was the nurse that would lead that meeting every month. And what we saw was cultural transformation. Mm-hmm. We saw physicians becoming comfortable with fluid leadership because they saw what happened when you do this. So what happened was statistically significant reduction in A1C, statistically significant reduction in hypertension. The outcomes were better than compared to standard medical approach in this method. And so I'm sure, Fran, you have some comments on that, but I just wanted to brag about what an amazing study you did. Thank you. It was also amazing because even in that study, we handed over control to the staff. So as Aaron says, we trained, yes, we provided educational resources to the team members, but we, when we des- the design was done by the staff, we would gather the group together and say, okay, we're going to have this care coordination team. What's it going to look like? That was frustrating for people because, you know, healthcare people we're used to answers. We're used to taking the test, getting the grade. Everything's good. So, but that was really organizational change. And once they got it, they just took off. I knew that we had done it when two things happened that stand out in my mind. One was a one of the one day I was in the clinic and I saw and a physician came in. He's and he's going up and down the hallway saying. Where's my team? We're supposed to be meeting. Where's our team? We're supposed to be having a meeting right now. And I was like, whoa, I've not seen that in a long time, right? 
I knew then that he had come from another site to make sure he did not miss that meeting that day. This was before we Zoomed everything too. So this is the old days. And then the other thing was that a nurse almost brought me to tears at a staff meeting that we had. She told a story about a patient and ended with, this was what I was educated to do. She was able to fulfill her nursing role that I bet you, I bet, I I think like many people don't even, aren't even sure how nurses conceptualize what their role is, but she was able to give examples and articulate it to the whole team. I still get goosebumps when I think about that. So I, I take some credit for writing the grant, but I don't take a lot of credit for what that team did. And Aaron is right. The outcomes were good. The dietician who was on the team said to me one day, I got to tell you something. There's something going on here because the patients are losing weight. And I said, well, yeah. She said, nobody ever loses weight, Fran. (laughs) What a beautiful story. I, Isn't this very special, I think. Yes. Well, and and you just shared here, folks, you heard it here. (laughs) Qualitatively and quantitatively, you've heard the evidence. The research has been done. It is proven to work. These stories, changing culture to seeking out where's our team. You know what used to happen? It used to happen in a doctor's office, meaning in their office with them, maybe by themselves as the team. And now we are actively seeking out where is our team. And I love the story that you shared, Fran, only a nurse can do from your background to understand. And this is how I have learned about the value of true nursing and your education and the science behind nursing. Mm-hmm. I, I, I think many of us have this image in our head. Well, the nurse is there to get vitals. That, that's their job. Right. That's what they do. That, that's what I need them to do. And we forget or have not been curious enough to explore or we're aware the education and the skill in the science that goes behind nursing, a rigorous career. And when we partner together, it tremendous things happen, proven by the evidence. People were actually mm-hmm. losing weight. And you're right, people don't lose weight, but they <laughs> did. And you know, the message that this sends to the patients is this is a team. This is a team that cares about me. What goes away is, oh no, I'm only going to talk to the doctor, only what the doctor says, or, right. oh no, this is my nurse. This is the only one that I work right. with. They begin to trust the team because at the end of the day, it is the team that helps support and take care of the patient by putting the patient in the center and exhibiting these behaviors. We've created this change and I love it. I love the story. I love the evidence behind it. I got a couple more questions and I know we're running out of time, but I want us to get there because you don't have to have an interprofessionalism Institute. Do you please tell me no. We can no. do this in our spaces, but what would you tell people who don't have an institute for this or who don't have a HRSA grant? Where do they get started? We mentioned that this was going on before, did we? This was going on before the institute um, was formed. There was an annual, or you might have to help me here, there was an annual interprofessional day or something that I was involved in, and it was usually focused on ethics. Um, but I think through that process, what we discovered was how how strong that grassroots effort was. That despite obstacles and all the all the meaning the barriers in the logistics of making that day happen, people persisted, and it kept happening. And I think it was the note observing that and noticing that that eventually got us to the point where the institute was formed. Aaron, what do you, how am I remembering history? Is that correct? 
Yeah, that's absolutely correct. This was a grassroots effort from uh, faculty that were recognizing that care was better when we were collaborating with each other. And uh, it just came out of um, a coalition of the willing. So I would say yeah. whoever is uh, interested in changing their culture and making their culture more interprofessional is start with who would like to participate. And then there are so many different things you can do. Um, I'd like to add uh, in that study that Fran uh, had talked about with nurse-led care coordination teams, one of the things that came out of it was just how good nurses are at leadership and nurses mm -hmm. are trained in leadership. Physicians don't always have training in leadership. It's kind of assumed. And believe it or not, one of the things we discovered in all of our training was leadership's important but followership is more important. And so we discovered that everyone needs to know how to be a follower. A physician needs to be a follower, a dietitian needs to be a follower. It's actually easier right. to be the leader than it is to be a follower. And the United States Air Force includes followership in their officer training. And so we opted to include followership in what we do as well. And what and that comes in the form of what does it mean to be a good team member? What does it right. mean to support the person who's leading at that moment? What does it mean to put aside your ego for the best uh, uh, for the best outcomes of the team? And so these are some things that anybody can do at a local level uh, in, a, in a very yes. easy way is is start meeting to talk about your culture and how uh, people can be empowered to solve their own issues. I remember back in the recession in, uh, in the late 2000s, um, American Airlines uh, CEO put out something to all their employees that said, we need to figure out how to save money. Here's an email address that you can send us uh, your ideas on. And I'll never forget, they got an idea from mechanics about a much simpler, easier way to access plane engines that uh, with a, a small investment saved them millions of dollars over a single year. And they realized they had never asked their mechanics, how can you make, how can we make your job easier? And so just that conversation with the team of what is it you do and how can the rest right. of us empower you for your job to be easier and you have a lot of unique talents. What are the things you'd like to do that we're not tapping right. into? Exactly, exactly. I want to just say one more thing uh, about students because we've talked a lot about the practicing physician or the you know the head nurse kind of person and nurse care coordinator. We also I wanted to just bring something forward about when you get students together in the beginning of their professional socialization, meaning like first, second year medical students. Uh, maybe nursing students who are in their first year of clinicals, one of the things they find is a commonality that they have at that point. Their experiences in education, right, wrong, or indifferent, are similar. They have high levels of stress. They're very achievement-focused, right? They, um, they want to study together, but they're not sure. They can't how to form those groups. And um, that is a bonding experience right there that we have been overlooking all this time. Once we introduce them to each other, then some of our students have gone on themselves because they value the opportunity to be um, groupies, if you will, 
And they've just, they've uh, initiated interprofessional um, opportunities themselves where the medical students uh, will do anatomy. They do anatomy night for the nursing students. The nursing students uh, do uh, vital science classes for the medical students. And that all grew again organically. And I think it was because they bonded early on. And so this stuff we're talking about here about the senior physician is like old news to them because they're seeing a different way already. So um, I wanted to just make sure we brought that piece in. Fantastic. Now, I think I've got it. I think I've got intentional organic groupies. <laughs> let's Thumbs start at the beginning you have we'll a way with simple. words yes i, I yes. love that okay so intentional organic groupies are really important and you know what i would love to see on a whiteboard in every single meeting room the greatest sign of leadership is knowing when to follow mm. wouldn't it be great if we kept that at the center of what we did and we were mindful Yes. Of when it was time to shift with fluid leadership, it could be in one meeting where yes. you're leading the topic and then you're following the topic Absolutely. and you're listening to all the experts and the geniuses in the room to get us to where we need to go. This is brilliant. This has been such a pleasure. Thank you for, for joining us today. I do have one more question that I want to hear from you all, because this is something I'm passionate about. I believe that the pandemic has shined a light on how disturbing our health inequities are. Mm -hmm. I have no doubt, and I want to hear from you, from the two of you, how interprofessionalism can address health equity, because I believe it's there and I'm hearing it in your story. So, so tell us, tell us all. Well, Aaron, I'll take this first stab at it. Um, formally, um, we, there is a state of inter, there are documented interprofessional competencies that have been published um, they've been published since 2011. I'm on it. The, they've been revised once. I'm on a task force to revise them a second time. And I think in that revision will need to come the integration of all the issues around social justice and diversity to in, integrate that issue. Cause it's a huge, it's a huge problem within the team framework. So, and the, and the expectations for teams, I think, so that's a formal way that that will come through. And also you will see then accreditors following following as well, because those interprofessional competencies that I'm talking about have been accepted by almost all of the health professions now. And they will they will be adopted as the new revision comes out, they will adopt those as well. And so that's a way of integrating it, the concepts systemically, if you will. Um, so that will be my contribution here, Aaron. You have other thoughts on this, I'm sure. Yes. No, Fran, I think that's an excellent uh, uh, answer. Also, I think the answer to health inequities, of course, is social change within the arena we're discussing is healthcare change, that we mm -hmm. really need a change in our entire healthcare system, uh, probably more toward a single payer system to be able to provide a standard of care across uh, all people. Uh, regardless of their ability to pay or their um, or any other status. And now given that change, I think the tool of that change, how that change will filter down and improve health inequities is through interprofessionalism. And I think an example of that is in the is during the pandemic when people realized that our um, black indigenous people of color communities, 
um, that we're not getting testing at the same rate for, for COVID. I, we saw interprofessional groups coming together to yeah. send fans out into communities. Right. Um, it was the idea of a nursing student. It was the idea of a physical therapist. It was the idea of a nurse that brought these teams together all across the country to start testing in communities that were in need, desperate need. When the state of Illinois was reporting uh, test positivity rates of around 4%, um, our interprofessional teams at Loyola University Chicago were able to document 20%, 30% in our local communities of color. And no one would have even known those rates if it weren't for the interprofessional teams that stepped forward to uh, approach these issues. So I really believe in the end at the at the the tips, the fingertips of the work of the health system are going to be the interprofessional team. Yeah. Yep. Well said. Thank you both. This has been incredibly inspiring, motivating. I, I appreciate your leadership by example. And I heard you say something that I want to make sure our listeners hear repeated. And that is in order for health to change, we must have social change. Mm-hmm. And this is a, a very serious point in the work that we do but we have to show people and you, and you explain this in your illumination, transformation, activation, we must do this together. We must do it interprofessionally. And this is the way into the future. And anyone and everyone can do this, whether you're in yes. a small medical practice in, I don't know, um, Summerlin, South Carolina, or in a major institute such as Loyola with their interprofessionalism Institute in Chicago, Illinois, Mm -hmm. we can all do this. We must all do this. And I thank you both today. I thank you for your interprofessionalism. I thank you for your optimism and our direction forward in this country, because the future is bright and it's right here on this podcast. I agree. Thank you so much. Yes. Thank you so much, Sharia. And I have to thank my friend and partner of many decades in this, uh, Fran. Thank you, Fran. Thank you for involving me. I One last thought. I'm thinking, I'm reflecting on our conversation today. And one of the things that is coming forward, Aaron, is this notion that we should consider the fact that we are actually teaching people how to change. We're teaching people how to change and how to affect change through this process. So maybe that'll be our next, our next model. I don't know. On that note, we have more work to do. <laughs> And maybe a future podcast, Teaching Change. Thank you. Thank you both. This has been a phenomenal session. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to the SDFM podcast, produced by the Society of Teachers of Family Medicine. Visit us at sdfm.org and follow us on Twitter at sdfm underscore fm. This podcast is copyright Society of Teachers of Family Medicine 2021.